Hey Power Pack fans, we record our shows about a month ahead of when we launch them, so we are a bit behind the curve. The next two episodes we were still recording while we were in the same room. Since then, the world has changed just a little bit. We saw the trend of social distancing and made changes to how we record to comply with the health recommendations. With so many changes occurring as a result of this pandemic, we wanted to continue to provide our silly show to you as a way for you and your family to escape. We also wanted to make some changes to our Patreon feed as well. We will be modifying the levels in order for more people to access the content. All of our monthly episodes will be available at the $1 level. We're not sure right now what the other levels will look like, but we encourage all of our Patreon members to reduce or cancel their contributions, especially during these tough times. Be kind to each other and stay safe. Good morning, I'm Sim. I know that Inferno wasn't supposed to start until September, but I'm not a nice guy. That's why I jumped the gun and started the mayhem a little early. Have a blast, bring marshmallows. The Uncanny X-Men 240 through 242. The New Mutants 71 through 73. X-Factor 36 through 38. Welcome, dear listener, to our podcast, Jeff and Rick Present, Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, where we journey through each issue of the most underrated Marvel series of the 80s while drinking beer, analyzing awesome and amazing adolescent adventures, and absorbing alcohol. I am Jeff. And I am Rick. So long, and thanks for all the random banter. Random banter time, buddy. Talk to me about stuff and things. My name is Arthur Dent, and I never could get the hang of Thursdays. <laughs> of course I know what that's from. I know you know what that's from. What if I mixed it up and said, uh, uh, life, the universe, and random banter? Would, yeah. would you know it then? Yeah. Okay, still? Oh, yeah. man. If you said salmon of banter, I still would know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> what if I just said, uh, glorp, glorp, bleep, blop? Yep, probably still would have gotten it, too. If probably you read, still would have gotten it, If yeah. you read bad poetry, I still would have gotten it. <laughs> oh, that's an idea for one of the future. Some, <laughs> some Vogon poetry. Yeah. Do you know why I picked that one, Rick? Boy, do I know why you picked that one? Um, does it have to do with this issue? It does in a oh, sense. Oh, no, no, no. You know what? You're right. I do know why, because uh, the Earth is being uh, demolished as we see it. Well, actually, it's because this is uh, issue number 42 of Power Pack, and 42 <laughs> holds a special part in any hitchhiker of the universe. You know what? I, I, as you were starting to speak, I looked down and I saw it, and I said, you know, I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. It's all good. It's all good. It's all good. You know it. It's issue 42, and that's a thing. It's in the books and stories. Hey, there you go. <laughs> so th this is a very interesting night for us. Behind the curtain a little bit, this is our second episode that we recorded tonight. We started off by recording our Patreon episode, um, and now we're doing this one. And the Patreon episode, my daughter was here. And I'm saying here because I am in my basement Jeff is in his basement. We are not in the same basement, and we are actually doing this Skype thing to do our podcasting, which every other podcaster does. We haven't, and it's very sad for us. 
It is because we really enjoy the time that we get to spend together. That is one of the really nice beneficial things of doing this podcast. Well, first of all, we're doing something that we really love to do. And everybody gets to hear that, which is wonderful. And we get responses from people that still blows me out of the water because people enjoy it. But also uh, because me and Rick get to hang out. And it's great to kind of have a scheduled hangout time with a friend. And I miss that already. Yes. I can completely understand because uh, my wife and daughter have been more or less stuck in the house. I have been going to work. But I completely understand because it's like, you know, I had one day where I was at home working from home. And I was like, this is nice and all. But I can see how my family is going crazy. <laughs> yeah, you start. Uh, yeah, you yeah. do. You start kind of going, huh? I miss things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My my wife is working from home, and she works in the healthcare uh, profession as a scheduler for a clinic nearby our house. So she's been working from home for the past couple of weeks. My daughter has been off school for the past couple of weeks. I'm impressed that they're still talking to each other. <laughs> no, which <laughs> no, is really nice. That's no, great. My, 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 daughter, my daughter is is a real trooper, but I mean, she is going through most of the day by herself because mommy's working, daddy's working, and then, you know, I come home from work, my wife gets done with her work, and we're like, hey, we're tired. <laughs> yeah, it's it's our time to chill out now, honey, mm-hmm. not for visit time. Yeah. My, my daughter, I did ask my daughter, I, as I left this morning, I thought, you know what, I, I want my daughter to read both of these this this issue and our Patreon issue, and I thought, you know, maybe tonight she'll join me and we can record her with both of these issues. Uh, we did one because <laughs> she didn't make it too far through this issue. But before we start yes. talking about this issue <laughs> that completely frightened my daughter where she couldn't finish it, we will. I want to talk about one other thing, and that is uh, last episode we talked about Stephen Gray and some of the figures that he created. Uh, oh, since my th- goodness, yes. Amazing. Since then, he has uh, provided those to Jim Brigman and Louise Simonson, uh, the pictures of them. And the pictures, put, not the yeah, items themselves, because they, way too much work. <laughs> they put them on their Facebook pages, and the people's responses was amazing. So we we're going to put this, still put this up on... Deservedly so. And he also... Uh, uh, sent us more creations he made because he's got the time now. He did White Mane and he did a couple of snarks. And again, the detail is incredible. It's really yeah. beautiful to look at. And once again, shout out to to Stephen Gray. We will be putting this up on our website. So you check out the pictures. They're incredible figures that he hand sculpted himself. I don't know if you've seen it or not, because I know that you are very busy with your uh, mm-hmm. job at the unemployment department. Uh, he also post, posted up some pictures today of a new one that he has done, which might be of everybody's favorite four-and-a-half-year-old. Yeah, he did a Franklin, too. He did a tattletale, and it is amazing. I did have a quick moment where I, I flipped through some social media, and I did see that. I was like, oh, that looks really cool. Now I have to go back and uh, get some unemployment programs up and running for my state. So Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, no, I totally get that. It was like uh, 9-11 for me was like that because uh, I worked as in a for the Red Cross in an infectious disease laboratory. And that happened, and it was like, wow, this is shocking. And it was uh, all about... I was doing two and a half to three days of work each day processing blood because people were donating it so much. And it's just like, wow, 
I am exhausted. Then you go home and then you watch the news, which is the worst thing you could do. And you're like, wow, I'm still exhausted, but more, more mortified. It was just like, I'm just so shell shocked. And so, yeah, I could see that kind of happening to you too, with the processing of the uh, unemployment stuff. So, and now we're going to move on and talk about this comic book. Jeff, can you please give us a two sentence replay of last episode? The unasked question of what does smoking, arson, gun running, and stomach aches have to do with one another is quickly answered when our young heroes find themselves part of multiple simultaneous storylines that smash cut over each other in an attempt to get out the door before they are locked into a burning building. Basically, a slumlord is forced into burning his apartment complex down so that the insurance money can pay off a loan shark, while Alex has a tummy ache because he cares too much about everything, including his friends who want him to join their smoking club that happens to be in the aforementioned location. Now that the smash cut two-sentence replay is over, why don't you give me a beer and tell us what our power pack pick is? My pleasure, my friend. Now, you gentle listener may be asking yourself, how are they going to share a beer over this this weird you know, contraption of talking to each other over a computer? How is that going to happen? Well, let me tell you. I thought about this ahead of time, and I provided my friend Jeff with a couple of beers that are wrapped in paper bags. So, Jeff, now, would you please unwrap that beer and tell me what you got? All right, I've got the double-bagged episode 55 bottle. Let's see. Okay, we have Hell on High. It's a quad bock. It is Belgian-styled beer, and this has a uh, trench coat and fedored smoking demon and sunglasses petting a poodle. Oh, that's <laughs> nice. It says that it's naturally fermented and story time is imported by Aco Importers Inc. <laughs> and you can also get money back uh, like a dime if you give it to the right people. This is a uh, uh, man. I don't know. How does Belgian style beer tie into the episode? Wait, naturally fermented. <gasps> I understand. Okay. So in the bathroom, they had the, the stinky mildew grow up everywhere. So that was naturally fermented too. I got it. Totally got it. Quad Bach. Four quad, four power pack members. Understood. Yeah, hell on high. Kind of a little, little bit on the nose, Harry, don't you think? It is so on the nose that I love it as much as I love you, my friend, and our amazing listeners. I love you guys too. You guys are wonderful. But yeah, no, this is great. This is, uh, I like, I like uh, Demon Incognito. Good, good old uh, PI, petting a dog, Demon. He's on the town. He's in New York. He's looking a little incognito. You know, he, he's just visiting. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> he's a sailor. <laughs> I have I have had this before at one time. I, I can't remember what my what I had on here as far as a, a rating. So we'll we'll just go with it from here. But I did think about this when I went to the store because I thought, you know, it would be kind of cool to have something infernal like. Yes. And uh, hell on high just seemed quite appropriate. It is super appropriate. Now I'm going to open mine up with a very cool hand of the king game of thrones bottle opener that you gave me so hold on a sec there we go so we have ourselves a quad bach belgian now this is a euro super high alcohol lager it's orange gold smells of rich caramel malt and well straw yeah that's about right smooth and well balanced yeah i i totally agree on that that is yeah that is a uh yeah kind of a a, a reddish what did you? What did you say? A mahogany? No, not a mahogany. Uh, kind of a, a, a orange gold, reddish amber, orange gold, golden. Yeah, it's very gold. Beautiful golden color. It is 
pretty transparent. It's a little hazy. I could still read through it if I wanted to. Yeah. But uh, real flat head on it. Not very many bubbles. It's got some, but it's not. It's not super frothy. It smells like it smells like a Bach, man. It smells definitely like a Bach. It smells very German to me. Just enough malt and hops to add a fruity taste. Alcohol flavor is not prevalent despite it says 12% on the webpage, but it's 14% on the bottle. You be the judge. Almost is not <laughs> noticeable until you are through. Really good with barbecue pork or pulled pork. Man, I'm just sorry. I'm like, barbecue, pulled mm-hmm. pork. Oh, I love that. Going to be a while. Oh, Oh, this is this is my kind of thing. I like sweet. Oh, that does have a. Oh, that is very caramely. Mm-hmm. Wow, that that is. It's got that kind of. Well, uh, it's a quad box, so. Yeah. <laughs> it does have that kind. It does have that kind of Bach flavor through it, but it it's very like rotating caramel flavors. It hits all the caramel notes in different yes. ways. That is and, interesting. Well, it, it's. It's really clingy on the lips, too. Like, you had just eaten a caramel and kind of, like yeah. a caramel apple and kind of had the caramel on the lips, too. Wow. And just think about that sugar with the barbecue pork or any pork mm, flavor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But no, you, uh, yeah, this is this is tasty. Wow, that is, uh, huh. One thing I will say about not going over to your house to do the recording is that I can be here. Yeah, you drink, can drink them down and not have to worry and, about driving. And, and, yeah, and drink a nice heavy abv and not have to worry about going home <laughs> man this would go really good with barbecue yes it would oh you know what else goes really good with barbecue new york city new york city <laughs> opening credits if you please sir power pack issue number 42 december 1988 revenge of the boogeyman credits welcoming back eyes so brightly john Bogdanov who both wrote and penciled so lightly. Stan Drack, who finished in ink tightly. Don Hudson, inking the background slightly. Glennis Oliver, who still colors brightly. Carl Potts, editing nightly. Tom DeFalco, editor-in-chief politely. Featuring Power Pack, Alex Power, a.k.a. Destroyer. Tosses Powerballs rightly. Julie Power, a.k.a. Molecular Mistress of Density. Controls her molecules tightly. Jack Power, a.k.a. Counterweight, handles quips and weighs lightly. Katie Power, a.k.a. Starstreak, likes to fly very sprightly. Douglas Carmody, the boogeyman. A villainous jerk who was tossed in a demon realm spitefully. The Power Parents, who still don't know their children gain superpowers mightily. Hey, Rick. Yeah, Jeff. Remember a few issues back when Carmody got tossed into limbo? A demon dimension by magic? Oh, of course I do. That old chestnut. And remember how we figured that we would never see him again and that there would be zero ramifications to his being tossed into the pit? Yes, indeed, diddly diddly. Well, how would you like to have some real purple prose to describe the torment that he's enduring? Well, I would love that, Jeff. Good, because that is what we get. Followed by some honest-to-goodness fire and brimstone, he falls through the infernal pit, being stripped of his clothes by the entropic energies of limbo, while the narrator gives us a Twilight Zone allegory. All of the terror and torment he inflicted upon the Power Kids is now being revisited onto him. And he is not a happy puppy. No siree. He becomes even more terrified as he gets caught by a host of demons. The mass of monsters manhandles the mortal for their monstrous master. Hey! I recognize that monster. Yep, it's Nestir, 
the demon that Carmody was dealing with over a video screen while he was trying to sell Children of Power. And if you think that an evil interdimensional business deal that failed will make this current non-social distancing face-to-face meeting awkward, you will be correct. Nastara takes this all in stride. He mocks the now-naked ne'er-do-well and presents him with a Douglas Carmody, this was your failed life, slideshow of his past interactions and failings with Power Pack. Hey, remember when they had just gotten their powers and destroyed your business entirely? You know, that was fun. What about that time that they had the Warriors 3 from Asgard boot your butt and tell you to bounce for good? Those were good times. <laughs> oh, how about recently when they teamed up with the New Mutants and banished you to a demon dimension for all time? Boy, was your face red. <laughs> you know what? It still is. Well, those were good times, one and all. But demons gots to demons, and this nasty Nastaro boy has big plans that are kicking off on Earth. Right about nowish. The question is, what are they going to do with Carmody? Now this horse-faced demon is not going to lick a gift human in the mouth. He recognizes the bright spark of evil and hate inside of Carmody, and he would like to help this horrible man reach his full, horrible potential. The only problem is, there's just way too much human in the way. Not a problemo. This is Libo, after all. And Nastra is a demon that is riding high in the saddle. So he brings the naked, sweaty, and screamy man up to his mouth and starts to chew. My, but you actually do taste rather greasy. That was horrifying. And it's not going to get any better. So please, fasten your seatbelts and return your tray table up to its full upright and locked position. Because it's going to be a bumpy ride. Welcome to Inferno. The insanity going on in Limbo is slipping over into the real world. Specifically, into New York City. And the city is suffering. Not only is it a really hot summer. Not only is there a garbage strike. And not only is there narration, but all three of those things have been demonically increased, creating an impressive and dismal scene. Wait, how can narration become affected by demons? You know, honestly, I don't know. But there is a lot of it, and it is oppressive and dismal and heavy and cloying, and it burns the eyes like an acid sandstorm. The words and pictures do paint a sadistic scene. Jim Power is struggling to walk through a heat and garbage filled street stuck with idling cars. There's a palpable miasma that fills the air and the panel. The entire city seems to be broken with no transit, no AC, not a single luxury. Adding to his misery are cuts to the funding grants for his job and his kids being sick at home. When he finally drags himself into a sweltering apartment, he finds his wife trying to clean the house, and looking as destroyed as he is. Maggie has had similar troubles inside the apartment. Everything has been breaking, and the more she cleans, the more dirty the apartment becomes. As happy as they are to see each other, the insane heat and humidity keeps them at arm's length from each other. It is too miserably hot to even be affectionate. You know, people come to our show for comedy, and there really hasn't been any of that. Mm. You know what? You're right. Okay. Knock, knock. Who's there? To Inferno. To Inferno who? To Inferno hot to tell a joke. Ha ha. Good joke. Still waiting on the comedy, though. Everybody's a critic. Jim tells Maggie to start a cool shower for them to hop into while he checks on the sick power children. Wait, 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 wait. The kids have all this space magic. They can't be sick. And yet, 
There they are. All four kids are laid out in their individual beds, wearing the least amount of clothing that only kids can get away with. All of them are burning up bad. Katie is spiking a 107-degree fever, so the parents decide to skip their shower and put her into a cool tub first. Maggie was trying to clean up the bathroom, so Jim turns on the tub's cold water faucet, but nothing happens. So he tries the hot water. Groan, thump, thump, fat, bang. And a mess of scalding hot, rusty sewage nails him in the face and splattering around the bathroom. They get it shut off, but then the hot sewage-filled pipes break. Okay, Th- this is this is just too depressing. Let's leave this poor family and check out the rest of the town. Okay. Well, we find that every roadway has turned into a parking lot, covering every inch of the city. Nothing is moving, everything is stopped, and all things are baking and slowly expiring in the heat. Happy now? No, I'm not. That is horrible. To you, yes. Two enterprising young men with crowbars and no morals. This is manna from heaven. Case in point, we'll focus on this one young man of many, who we will call mm, Wally Cleaver. Why Wally Cleaver? Because Johnny Rival has already been taken. So Wally here is using his charming personality and a piece of pipe to threaten stuck motorists into giving up their possessions. He has been scoring big time, picking up cash and drugs. He takes a moment to partake upon his ill-begotten goods and is promptly eaten by a monster coming from the shadows of a freeway overpass. You're dead, you insolent punk. Pop glitch. Playing on your fellow humans, you're a disgrace to the species. Well, that was disturbing. Can we check in on the kids so that we can see something a little less awful? Sure, they're still sick. Ugh, great. Well, the boys and girls are each talking about how this is not normal. They have been able to heal and not get sick prior to this, thanks to space horse magic. But their normal saving throws do not seem to be cutting it. Depressed again. We gotta get out of this apartment. Okay. Well, I have good news for you. We get to leave the apartment and go back out onto the motorway. The group of young punks that have been terrorizing the motorist seem to have their comeuppance given to them. And this... Revenge! is coming in the form of a demon hacking and slashing and burninating its way through the punk population, pirating the People's Public Parkway. There is an ongoing diatribe from this shadowy villain as he describes his manifesto against the world. Let's take a peek at it, shall we? Hmm. It seems to mainly be about disgust over loud music and freakish haircuts, the punk's public appearance, failure to show respect and dignity, purity of humankind. Yeah, he fits a mold. And it is a mold that has an affable audience. An overweight, opinionated old orator is sitting in his car, cheering on the death and destruction. But hey, we're kind of burying the lead here. During the verbose verbal volley, the villain voices his voucher. This thing is our old, not friend, Douglas M. Carmody. Well, wait, wasn't he just being treated like a red lobster cheddar cheese biscuit by a demon? I'm going to take a guess here, but this cannot be good. Nope. In fact, Carmody is now approaching Mr. Fancy Pants and focuses on this guy's flaws. You, sir, are no better. You are loud, obnoxious, and fat. You make me sick. With a... Sloop. Carmody slooshes into the car. Um, his arm is white and clawed. He then murders this guy something foul. Chud. Uh, he's kind of naked and has wisps of hair on his oily body. Don't worry. With a quick... Snap. 
and Sklurch. and a reprimand to the now dead man for getting blood on his nice suit, Demon Carmody, a.k.a. the real Boogeyman, slips into the fleeced fabrics. A man of my position just can't appear in public and clothes. If there is one thing Doug Carmody won't be accused of, it's obscenity. Okay, uh, hey, he is totally misshapen. He has yellow eyes. He has green teeth. He has a head the size of a beach ball and is ten times a frightening. But, sure, he's clothed, so yay? And things are bad all over the Big Apple. We have a scene from Ground Zero of the Infernal Incursion. A crowded Times Square is quickly overrun with demons pouring out of a teleportation circle controlled by magic from the New Mutants. Unfortunately, even at the urging of her teammates, she cannot close it. The demons are in charge of Limbo now, and they mean to spread their domain over Earth as well. Meanwhile, back at the power pad... Home of the sweaty family... No doubt. Jim and Maggie are doing the best that they can to clean up and get cool water for the kids. They are listening to the news and the reports of the heat wave. Mysterious events and supernatural shenanigans is just adding to the chaos. In the boys' room, they are overhearing the news reports, too. Alex is motivated to try to get up to do something. That something is falling off the top bunk to the floor below. Womp. This brings in Maggie, and she helps her son up so he can go to the bathroom, which is now completely covered in green, stinky slime. The smell is enough to run Maggie off. Alex fights his way into the mildew and clears a path with his disintegration powers. He makes it to the toilet, but the mildew begins to grow back, and the toilet starts to overflow. Maggie has had it, and tells Jim that they are getting the H.E. Double Demon Legs out of New York. And that is the moment that the power's radio begins to blare. Loudly! And they can't turn it off. Maggie is shocked when she tries to touch it, and Jim pulls the plug with a rubber spatula. Nope, still on, getting louder, and sporting an evil face. Maggie to the rescue with a rolling pin and an overhead swing. In quiet voices, the two scared adults are amazed that actually worked. In the girls' room, Katie wakes up from an honest fevered dreams where she says that the boogeyman is in the wall. Julie crawls over to her sister to comfort her, but a familiar, white-clawed hand shoots from under her bed and starts strangling her. Julie can't turn to vapor. She's blacking out when the boogeyman lets her go and slithers away into the shadows, threatening that he has a better idea. Isn't that how you presented the podcast to me, Rick? Maybe. Moving on. Julie wraps her arms around her little sister as Katie begins to babble nonsense before passing out. Babbling that sounds a little like... I had to scream Cause Carmody was right there He's hiding in my ceiling And my walls And he says I hide everywhere not gonna kill you I have some plans for you I will be watching if we could change the way Nastra changed you up we wouldn't have to cry here we don't deserve this 
Her parents show up at this point, gathering the kids in a couple of bags and guiding them out of the apartment. As Jimmy and Maggie carry little Katie to the elevator, the older three kids whisper together. Julie informs the boys about what happened, and they all agree that the only hope they have is to group up and focus their healing powers, like they did when they fought against pestilence. Unfortunately, a cramped and hot elevator you are sharing with your parents ain't the place. And then the elevator stops. Uh Uh-oh. Then the roof opens up like a piece of torn foil. Oh, dear. Then the boogeyman grins down at the petrified parents. Great Lovecraftian horror! That will leave a mark on your sanity. Before the parents have a chance to become paralyzed with fear, the demonized Carmody picks up the parents by the neck and pulls them up. The boogeyman, like any self-respecting villain, begins to monologue about how these children are the monsters, how they have powers, how they have ruined his life, how blah, 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 blah. But Jim and Maggie are not buying it. This thing is mistaken about their children. Parental concern is great and all, but this demon is playing for realsies. He is giving the children a choice. Save the parents or kill the cheerleader. No, 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 no. Or he is going to pop their heads off like bottle tops. Oh, you mean the children that caught Katie as Jim dropped her and huddled together on the floor of the elevator, healing during that monologue? Well, yeah, of course that is who I am talking about. You mean the kids who say, Okay, jerk face, you win. Mom, Dad, we hoped it would never have to happen this way. And we're sorry for lying. But what he says is true. Costume's on. We We are back. back. Now put him down, potato face, so we can kick your backside. Next issue. Oh no, how can they do this to the pack? Even if Power Pack can save their parents, how can they survive this premise-busting revelation? All we can say is it had to happen, and you may be sorry you asked for it. Be here for part two in six weeks. Or two weeks, because you're our group of people who listen to a podcast, and we don't bend to the wills of people 30-odd years ago. In the meantime... How about some power pack packaging? I'd love to do some power pack packaging. Let's look at this cover. I think we should. Like I mentioned earlier, my daughter um, tried to read this book earlier, and she didn't make it, I think, anywhere into it. <laughs> she may have started it, <laughs> but I think that the cover itself may have scared her. In fact, when I came home, it was face down because I think she was a little <laughs> frightened of the cover. Okay, I'm not going to lie. The entire time we've been recording this, I have also been having the cover face down and then I'll turn it over. I'm like, what's going on? Why don't I? Oh, yeah, that's why. And then I turn it back to the Inferno ad on the back page. This is an amazing cover. First of all, it's Childhoods and Power Pack. Got the red little corner box saying Inferno Continues. Got a little box here that says Revenge of the Boogeyman. And it's got a little uh, caption down below or a dialogue box that says Welcome to Your Nightmare. And it is Carmody as the demonized boogeyman with an off-kilter smile grimace that's not coming out of his nose. One eye is closed. There's crust and stuff around both eyes. It is the thing of nightmares, my friend. It is. And it is, it is just pure demonized pale face and this giant toothy mouth that has just always showing like every tooth that it can. And it's what's creepy about that. Cause you go, Oh, it's just a person showing their teeth. Yes. But just rearrange all the teeth in your mouth and then make a smile. It's just wrong. You have bicuspids and incisors and molars and everything is just thrown around whatever, wherever you want. It just is. It's just freaky. And he is right up on that camera. I mean, he is yeah. right pressed up against that window. This is frightening. I love this cover. I love this cover a lot. It is 
It is gorgeous. Do not get me wrong. It is an absolutely gorgeous thing to see, but it is terrifying in its beauty. And yeah. John Bogdanoff, man, you cause some nightmares with this. This is this is one that I would want to have him sign, but I would never put it up on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> no, that makes sense because again, it is it is beautifully done and I don't want to see it. And that is actually yeah. a great descriptor of this entire issue for me. Yes, yes, yes. Moving on, I mean, thank you, John Bogdanoff and Hillary Barta for a beautiful, terrifying picture. But, mm-hmm. I, I mean, go inside, and John Bogdanoff not only has written this, but has drawn this. And this is, a this book, the writing in it, the art in it, it is selling Inferno on par with the, the X-Books. Okay, for, first of all, we should talk about Inferno. I mean, what is Inferno? The story concerned the corruption of Madeline Pryor into the Goblin Queen. Now, Madeline Pryor was a character in some of the X-Books. She was the wife of Cyclops. She was a clone of Jean Grey. It's a thing. Anyways, it, it deals with her corruption and turning into the Goblin Queen. This also deals with the final transformation of Elena Rasputin, who we've seen in this book's as magic, into the Dark Child, the demonic persona that she was always been fighting against that was started by her time in limbo. And it's the demonic transformation of New York City and a lot of other people that occurred. There's uh, some of the, the side characters like Hobgoblin turned into demon, Carmody turned into demon. It's this confluence of a whole lot of different story arcs in a lot of the X-Books, and it culminated in this giant crossover across X-Factor, X-Men, and New Mutants, and it spilled into a lot of the rest of the Marvel comics, too. Spider-Man dealt with it. Daredevil dealt with it. Daredevil fought some demonic vacuum cleaners. It's pretty funny. But Power (laughs) Pack, outside of the mutant books, Power Pack had big-time involvement. And that had to do with, you know, Louise Simonson being part of this. And Louise Simon was writing the X-Factor and New Mutants at the time, and this was her book. So she was getting a lot of the setup that led up to Inferno in a lot of power pack beforehand so now we are left with john bogdanoff writing and drawing this this horrific tale and he does an amazing job just showing the putrid filth heat and cloistered and and and, and just how claustrophobic just the miasma of the uh, entire yeah. environment the first three pages of jim powers walk through new york and into the apartment everything is high yellow and that adds to all this very purple prose that he's got across the page. There is literally like five or six issues worth of comic words just jammed into this. It is. Yeah. Yeah. There are times where there, there's a, there's a moment where Jim and Maggie are talking and the font shrinks down to about half normal size because there's just so many words coming out and just pages are just covered with words and they're just tightly, tightly packed, small fonted, just it's oppressive. This entire issue is just oppressive feeling. It's just, it, you just feel grimy and dirty and like, yeah, I need to step away. And and they do a great job of a lot of detail and the coloring is just pulled way back. You have these yellow and beige backgrounds and then the, the people are drawn, you know, the, the main characters, Jim and Maggie are drawn in full color and, and you just have this, you feel the heat. You feel the city, and it's amazing what they do just with the beauty of the drawing and and the colors. We have seen the Powers apartment, and we have seen that it's, even with four kids and two adults living there, it's always been immaculate. And you see this scene where Jim comes in, the ceiling's cracked. You can see mildew on the walls. The sofa is torn. 
there is stuff everywhere and it's it's the, those little details that are amazing yeah there's actually water dripping from a ceiling in 1.2 it's just it's just yeah. showing a decay in the environment that normally is not there in yeah. any time frame it's just stuff is there's newspaper like it, there's garbage kind of everywhere and there's just like you know in the kids rooms there's just like peeling posters off the wall it, it's just everything is just disheveled and not the normal cleanliness organized way that we're used to seeing I, I know that there's some of the artists who did the the New Mutants and X Factor and X Men. They are known as like really doing amazing job on the demons and really selling just the feeling of New York at this time. But I am giving all credit to John Bogdanov because not only is he writing just a beautiful script here, but he also has drawn the heck out of this town that's been overrun by these demons. Mm-hmm. You could say he's drawn the inferno out of this town. <laughs> a lot of work went into this crossover event, and it mm. was a massive crossover event. Yes. But especially just to have Power Pack involved in it, and tangentially or whatever, it doesn't matter. You get a really good kind of on-the-street feeling of it, because they spend a lot of time just in the family's apartment. And you're just seeing the decay and the heat and the oppression and how everything's breaking and how it's kind of like just hearing on the news, you know, it's kind of almost kind of like now a horrible thing is happening. We're being affected by it, but a horrible thing is happening. Should we stay? Should we go? Where's it better? Where's it worse? Yeah. As far as the book itself, as far as the, uh, the content, I am impressed with this book because it's a power pack book. It's still about power pack, but Power Pack are actually the guest stars in this book. This mm -hmm. is a book about Jim and Maggie. It really is. And this is a book about Carmody. It's about those three. It's about Carmody's transformation and his in reintroduction as the boogeyman. And it's about Jim and Maggie going, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? The yeah. kids are off on the side, but at the same time, I, I don't think that that hurts the book at all. I think that oh, it no. really flexes out these other characters very well. No, it really does. And it's, you know, spoilers, I think for me, I know it's going to make a future thing that we're going to do, you know, a little bit hard, <clears throat> you know, stars and attention, but uh, <laughs> it really is. It's a, it's a Jim, Maggie and Carmody book, but yes, it really benefits from that because the kids are laid out sick. The most, most of the stuff they do is lay in bed, be sick and just not move. Yeah. No, I, I just, I really like this. I think this is a very well t told story. I think that uh, you, you kind of, we've been building up to this for a long time. This is the culmination of this character, Carmody, that we like to mock from the beginning, but he yeah. is their nemesis. And it tells that story. It helps, it helps to tell the story of Inferno. And it, it does a really good job of just, of just selling everything in here. I, I love all of the scenes. I love how it goes forward. And I love how frightening it is. I mean, it oh, yeah. it does say something to me that my daughter couldn't, couldn't really make any headway to this book. My wife, I come in the door and my wife's like, she's been a little scared of the book. <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry. No, I totally get that. This is an amazing, beautiful, well done installment that I don't want to touch again. It really is. <laughs> I, I I could reread this again, but I mean, it's it's one of those things where I'm enjoying it now as an adult, and it's yeah yeah I, I can I can understand how this would frighten frighten frighten, and then of course we have the last couple pages where Carmody finally does it. He he finally has the power. He finally has the 
his any humanity he has is finally stripped away and he's willing to do the most depraved things imaginable in order to show the parents show maggie and jim that these children have destroyed his life and uh you know he traps them in an elevator gives them the trolley choice like you know what i'm gonna kill your parents unless you you know show them your powers mm-hmm. what are you gonna do yeah, he's not worried about the Warriors 3 or Asgard's protection anymore. Carmody has finally become the terrifying villain and foe that he thought he was from the beginning. Yes. It's like every incarnation of him has just been a step up. You know, before it was just like, it's Carmody. He's a mean businessman. Now he's a mean businessman with a gun. Now he's a mean businessman with a suit and plastic bags. Okay, that's <laughs> more. He can fly. Now he's got an upgrade. Okay, he's more scary because he can fly higher than us. Now he just, it, that was just kind of like a an additional, you know, algorithm. Now he's become you know, a logarithm. So he's a power of 10 above where he was before. He's now, this can hide anywhere, super strong demon that just can squelch people's brains and skulls with nary a problem. So he's, he ain't the Carmody that you used to know. No. Then let's move forward a little bit more because this may be Inferno and this may be Hell on Earth, but you know what? We can still find a library card. We've got a very distinct little book that I pulled out of here. On the first page, uh, there's a piece of narration that says, a place that for Douglas Carmody could well prove far worse than any Twilight Zone. The first page actually reads like a Twilight Zone episode. It really does. John Bogdanov calls it out right at the end there. So I decided to pick up a book called Stories from the Twilight Zone by Rod Serling. This was written in 1960, and I bought a Kindle copy, and I started reading it. I got it like on Sunday, thinking, I'm going to have some time. You know, I'm going to carve out some time, read through it. Um, I made it through one story. <laughs> Might have run out of time. <laughs> Been busy my bad. So I'm going to give a very brief library card here, folks. I am sorry. The book Stories from Twilight Zone, like I said, was written in 1960. It does feature 19 different short stories based upon the Twilight Zone TV show and the stories that that Rod Serling would present. I, I managed to get through the first one. Like I said, it was about a failing ball team and an aspiring mad scientist who created a robot pitcher. You cannot help but read these books without having the Rod Serling narrator voice in your head. It's really good book, though. I, I actually would like to try to finish reading through it. I'd like to read some more of the stories because it has that, the classic little, you know, here's an everyday kind of occurrence with just some kind of science fiction or fantasy type of element that's in the background. Not necessarily scary, but just asking a little bit of the, kind of a little bit of the and then storyline that that Twilight Zone was good for. Okay, so what if this thing actually was happening like this? What if your wish did come true? What's the worst thing that could happen with that? You know, what if there was something to do with that sound that you heard out here? What if it really was a gremlin on the airplane wing? But that was what made those stories really good, and that's what made that show really good. And this is a really nice book that has a lot of these stories in it, and I just wish I could have read more of them. I am so sorry. Jeff, Get me out of this big, dark, stinky bathroom hole I'm in and tell me a little bit of science, would you please? In this issue, Maggie Power had to face one of her greatest fears head on. That fear? Mildew. Yes, the plague of bathrooms everywhere is something that we can all relate to. But this got me thinking, what is mildew? Mildew is a form of fungus. It is distinguished from its closely related counterpart, mold, largely by its color. 
Molds appear in shades of black, blue, red, and green, whereas mildew is white. It appears as a thin, superficial growth consisting of minute hyphaea, or fungal filaments. Both mold and mildew produce distinct, offensive odors, and both have been identified as the cause of certain human ailments. The term mildew is often used generically to refer to mold growth. Mildew can be cleaned by using specialized mildew remover or substances such as bleach. The pink mildew, often found on plastic shower curtains and bathroom tile, is actually a red yeast. Mildew requires certain factors to develop. Without any one of these, it cannot reproduce and grow. The requirements are a food source of any organic material, sufficient ambient moisture, and reasonable warmth is optimal. But some growth can occur anywhere between freezing and 95 degrees Fahrenheit. Slightly acidic conditions are also preferred. So, we just learned a little bit about mildew. I hope it was insightful. And that is this week's Science Corner. Thank you for the stinky report card, Jeff. Let's skate on out of this disgusting bathroom and ride on into that loud playing stereo. Because next to the stereo is a refrigerator that has a (laughs) bunch of stinky food in it. (laughs) And, uh, but on the outside, it's wrapped in a lovely thing of art yeah but all the art is torn and it's falling down the the refrigerator i'm sorry everything is destroyed everything's wrecked i can't do it anymore i know basically yeah it's it's all uh, wrecked it's all it's all it's all gone yeah it's all gone sadly the only art that remains is uh the scribblings of a two-year-old and a three-year-old it is just crayon scratches of just a and it's not even the power children it's not even the power children (laughs) <laughs> no, nope, it's not even the power children. It's just it's it's my kid who is drawn with an orange crayon going. Look, art. I'm like, you betcha. Let's get some funny in this. Let's talk about a funny backup here. I'm going to go ahead and start. OK, that sounds great. That's the way I want to roll. I like to turn your attention to page 19 and I call this one. Alex goes womp. there's not much comedy in this there's not much comedy in this but the one piece of comedy is when alex decides he's going to go out and save the world with 104 degree temperature and he gets off that top bunk and he takes one foot off and he realizes he has the strength of jeff's two-year-old yeah but she's pretty (laughs) strong she's she's got the strength of me currently But you see, in one panel, you see Jack looking up at Alex's legs hanging down. And the next panel, you see kind of an air movement motion and you see a whomp. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. It's pretty funny. It's it's yeah. just Alex like, nope, nope, nope. Gravity wins. <laughs> yeah, gravity totally wins. I love the next panel, too, where he's just sitting on the floor. He's pulled himself up into an almost seated position, but he's just you can just see the exhaustion on him. And it's just like he's just been laying there. It's like we've all been that sick where it's just like. Uh, I don't know if I can pick my own body up. Nope. nope. Yeah, and, and Alex has that going on. So his mom even runs in just to go, Alex, I got to help you. Here, come on. I can help you into the bathroom. This is, you can't. This move. is ridiculous. What do you got, my friend? My joke backup is on page four. This is my top funny one. What do you call it? Oh, okay. Did you name it, how many licks does it take to get to the center of a Carmody Pop? No, I called it Running Man. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. <laughs> This is the bottom left-hand panel, and, uh, oh, I can see why you called it Running Man. It is the, uh, it's a naked Carmody in limbo, and uh, just in the Running Man motion, and Nistra has grabbed him by the arms and the torso and is getting ready to chomp down. But the little, but the little Nistra tongue is coming down and licking him on the cheek, so it's, that's why I named it, you know, the Carmody Pop, so. (laughs) 
Well, that was my top funny ones. Okay, since I've stolen your top funny one, I will tell you my top funny one, and you can see if it is uh, funny or not. My top funny one is on page 23, and I call it Jim Behind You. <laughs> and it is the upper right-hand corner, and it shows – this is when the radio has gone crazy, and Jim is looking at it, and he's yelling about, like, it, it won't stop. How come it's so loud? But you just if you just took the words out of this panel, it looks like Jim is forefront in the panel, and behind him is Maggie with a rolling pin just going to brain him. Yeah, going to yeah. bash his brains in. So if you took out, if you took out uh, Maggie going, look out, honey, stand back, it would just look like, wow, this lady is going to kill this dude. <laughs> So, Jim, look out behind you. Well, we get to stay on this page because the next picture down is my backup favorite one. Oh, yeah. And it's the follow through Mm -hmm. with Maggie coming down, two hands on that rolling pin and smashing the ever loving bits out of that radio. It is a beautiful picture. It is amazing. It is really good. They give a lot of weight to this. And like you were saying earlier, this is seriously a Jim and Maggie issue. Yes. Which I'm for. But yeah, it is just this demonic radio is just, it's getting the dial kicked out of it. That's all I got to say. Yes, yes. I just, you see the power, you see the force. I mean, some of her clothes are even kind of moving up a little bit. It's just, there's a lot. You can see the muscles tensing. John Bogdanoff, bravo, sir. Yeah, you know how to draw Maggie. <laughs> you know how to draw lots of stuff. You, yeah, John is great. John is, John, mwah, chef's kiss yes. is the word. So yeah, John yes. is amazing. I don't know if you've ever smashed a radio. That took some force. Way to go, Maggie. <laughs> what is your backup good one, sir? <laughs> <laughs> My backup favorite one is on page five, and I call it, it'll be a hot time in the old town tonight. Well, you jerk have stolen my top one, which I called Hot Town, but go on, go hey, on. We were in the same theme. That's actually really awesome. Yeah, it is the top half of page five, and it is just the cityscape of Jim trudging through the heat and miasma of the town. And it's just, it's behind him on a sidewalk, looking up the street, and it's just a mass of humanity and a mass of just stalled cars and a mass of just trash and it's just you can feel the heat you can feel the oppression you can look at you know jim's back just trudging just exhausted and sweaty and just everything is done but you got to keep putting your feet in front of each other to get there and it is amazing art and it's just it just shows you just how tight and oppressive and just how unending this city is in this inferno event it yes wow good choice and because you stole my top one i'm going to pull a mulligan and i'm okay. going to go ahead and pull another picture in because i'm going to celebrate as much of this art as possible i'm going to go to page 20 and i am doing the bottom one on page 20 yeah this is amazing i, I mean really all the page 20 is really good but bottom of page 20 you've got alex in the bathroom and he is braving the smell, the smell that has driven his mother away. And he's in the bathroom. You can see him slowly disintegrating some of the mold that's there. And he's sick and he's weak. And he's trying his best not to just lose his lunch as he's dis- disintegrating this. And the mold, it's like a living carpet around. It's just, it is everywhere over every surface and it is just gross and beautiful yeah it is it is this was this was on my list this honestly was one of my top two but i i then 
mm. pivoted. Oh, you can just feel just the disgust on this. It was, I was, when I was going to pick this one, I was going to call it uh, my friend's college bathroom. <laughs> Because honestly, I mean, this is excessive, but this is very reminiscent of a friend's bathroom that I used to go to where you'd go into the bathroom. And you're like, wow, I'm not touching anything. This is super gross. So, yeah, it is just, uh, yeah, it, it just it just blankets everything it, again. As I've said, everything in this issue is just oppressive and you just feel gross looking yes. at it and reading it. This is a great choice. Well, you have got one more panel to share with us. Which one is it going to be? And I know it's going to be somewhere at the end of the book, right? You are very correct. Do you think it might be on page 26? I think it's on page 26. I was either going page 26 or page 28. I, I could have seen you do either one, but I, uh, page 26, I had it opened right there. And I call it American Gothic. <laughs> yeah, it's the top left-hand panel. It is. Uh, this is when the parents of the family have said, you know what? We're Dunsies. We're leaving. We're going to Aunt Pauline's, who isn't being affected by the Inferno event, even though they don't know this is going on, but they've gone into the sweltering sweat box of an elevator and it shows the family just in there and they're all you know, looking forward at the door and it's just the yellow lighting and they're orange lit, all just of that kind of deadpan expression, looking forward, miserable, but enduring kind of look. And yeah. again, it's a lighting thing. Yeah. I love that. This is a very me type of pick love it good choice i i i love that picture i also love the one right below it where carmody cuts into the top of the elevator and he's just drooling down on him once again there's lots and lots of good art in here there really is but you know what also there is what is there there's lots of good insults oh there's not a huge amount it is just a horrifying issue but there's a lots of insults <laughs> yeah there's some insults in here too You're right. rubber and glue moment let's talk about your backup pick for rubber and glue moment. I was going to say, let me go first. And I'm going to say that my backup pick is on page 28. 28. Ah, really? Yeah, for serious. Yeah. Is that your top one? That was my top one. <laughs> All I do is steal Jeff for the win. He steals. Mm -hmm. Okay. Since I stole it, why don't you say what it is? I'm going to, I'm going to introduce who said it. It is on page 28 and it is a Jack expression. Now put him down, potato face, so we can kick your backside. Calling him Potato Face. It's yeah. good. It's good, It's accurate, good, good. too, because he's a giant Potato Face at this stage. Yeah, he is. He is. He yeah. is. He is. Yep, 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 yep. Let me tell you my back one. Page 10, and this is Boogeyman coming out from the shadows. There's something about it I like, but he's about to uh, kill this young punk who's been who stole the drugs and money. And he says, you're dead, you insolent punk. Yep. Insolent punk. Yeah, that's a good one. It's a good one. It's a good one. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Even the follow-up on that uh, of saying you're a disgrace to the species. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, uh, Carmody has some good lines in this. Tar Carmody has a lot of good lines in this. What is your top one? Since I don't get a top one anymore. Oh, you had a top one. We were just sharing <laughs> it. My top rubber and glue moment is on page two. And a demon is saying it to Carmody. And the demon says, that muscle's very ugly. Tastes good and greasy, I think Fat morsel, very ugly. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> I'm like, dang, demon, you mean? Why you gotta be that way? He's a demon. Demon gotta be demon, man. Demon gotta demon be got, demon. Demon gotta demon. Yeah, the only thing I can say back to you is you, sir, are no better. You are loud, obnoxious, and fat, and you make me sick. Mm. 
Yeah, I could see that. Sorry, that that was just page fourteen. That was another one of Boogeyman's. <laughs> oh, I, I, th- I thought that was just a uh, use talking to me. I didn't even no. understand. I'm like, no. I'm like, that's fair. No. no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that. I would not put myself in detention like that. I am too much of a star pupil. <laughs> you are far too much of a star pupil. Hey, and speaking of star pupil and detention, that leads us right into detention of star pupil. So, Rick, who is your detention kid? I went with Julie on this one. I mean, this was hard. Really? This was very hard. Yeah, this was very hard to pick best and worst kid because all the kids were sick the entire time. And exactly. I mean, yeah. they were in the background. But I ended up going with Julie because uh, really there's only two kids that really did anything. And it was Alex and Julie. They're the only ones that did anything. Yes. Uh, both Jack recognized exactly how sick he was. And he's like, Jack is good in bed. Yeah. Jack is fine in bed. Jack don't need anything else. Jack's big contribution was, okay, mocking Alex. Face. Yeah, yeah, and, and then and mocking Alex when Alex fell out of the bed, but then Katie, yeah, Katie had 107 degree temperature, so she was out. Yeah. Um. So I went with Julie because, and and really, Je- uh, Alex did the same thing, but Alex, I'm gonna go. Alex is my best. Me too. I went with Julie because Julie got caught by Carmody, and she had a chance to use her powers and get out of it. And I think she could have before, you know, as as soon as Carmody grabbed her, she should have used her powers. She waited too long. And I know she was sick, but I'm just like, that that was the only thing I had to say I could go on. It was that she she got caught by Carmody there. And I think that that was just enough to bring her down to the worst. That was my opinion. What is yours? I'm actually, again, like you were saying, this is a really, really, really hard one to judge the kids for best mm-hmm. or worst. Like you, I picked Alex as my best. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Julie was trying to comfort Katie, so she did not make my worst. Okay. So my worst was Jack, simply because other than making fun of Alex and calling Carmody Potato Face, all he did was lay there. He did nothing. Uh, Katie actually saw, you might go, oh, Katie. Katie actually saw Carmody in the walls. That was a fever dream, buddy. (laughs) Yeah, she had a fever dream, but she actually did see her see him yeah because there was again throughout this there's cracks and decay and decrepitude it was it was amazing but so she actually saw carmody and she mentioned friday which was i thought was on awesome but uh so i'm gonna (laughs) give it to jack just simply due to the fact that he didn't do anything again really hard issue to judge best and worst kids because the kids weren't really focused on this one so i'm gonna say jack so we both chose alex and i think for the same reason probably alex he he tried to do something he got out of bed he was like we get yeah because he actually said we Mm. need to do something for the city sure i gotta do something and then he fell to the floor but then he he cleaned the bathroom Yes. And I mean, that's, yes, he's using his power and, and like he got caught, but I mean, he had to do it to try to help the family. And that's what he had to go on. So, yeah, uh, there was also the aspect at the end in the elevator. He actively grabbed Katie because, because, because mm-hmm. uh, James was holding on to her, even though when he was being pulled up by his neck, he still had an arm, you know, he had a hand on Katie's arm was pulling her up, but there was an image of, of Alex getting under her and, and scooping her up. So it's yeah. like, dad, I can take this weight off of you. Give me, you know, Give me Katie. Yeah. And so he did like three things. I think, though, we are going to have a very easy time with grading this comic with top grades. Mm-hmm. We evaluate each issue against the rest of the series, and we are looking at a list of one more issue than we had last time on the list. So that would bring us to 47. <laughs> at the bottom mm-hmm. of the list, we have X Factor Annual 2, but I mentioned that just because we're going to go all the way back up to the top of the list where we talk about. 
Power Pack number 25, The Height of the Snark Wars Arc, a fantastic issue done by Wheezy Simonson. So really, we're looking at this list, and I got to ask you, Jeff, I got to ask a serious question here. Do we have a top contender? Mm. You know, that power trip is really, really good, and who's coming to dinner is really, really good. This is pretty amazing and well i mean you you mentioned the top two there number three is the fall of the mutants battle with pestilence so i mean this is better than that easy yes i would agree with that though they even mention her this and it's like yeah that's cute let's get on with this story i love that life or death issue that was power pack number 35 this is better than that question is is this better than guess who's coming to dinner that's the thanksgiving episode is this better than the end of the snark wars where the kids get new powers it's better than the Thanksgiving episode. That's hard to say, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know what else really hurts? It's better than the end of the Snark Wars. Yeah, it yeah. is. I love the end of the Snark Wars, but I I think that the story, once again, it's very comparable to Power Pack 25 because you yes. have the end of the Snark Wars. I, I mean, this is not the end of this, of this story. We've got two no. more issues to go before this story is done. Mm-hmm. But this is definitely a culmination of Power Pack and their and their their machinations with Carmody. This is also a callback to Power Pack number twenty, where the Power Pack and New Mutants were saving babies from demons. <laughs> this is a callback to three other issues where they they battled Carmody and they they actually call back to those. It's yeah. a callback to Foot Life or Death, where they fight pestilence and they talk about how they get better from being sick. This is a callback to issue number two. This is true. This is very true. I mean, this that's our first run-in with Carmody. It's hard to say, but this is, I agree, this is better than Power Pack number 25. I think we have a new number one here. So way to go, John Bogdanov. Yeah, way to, way go. to go. Good job, John. Yeah, um, yeah, to defend everything else, he fit like five different comics worth of words into here. So Yeah, he did. <laughs> I mean, he, he gave uh, Chris Claremont a run for his money, man. Woo! <laughs> what sells it is his character issue. It's a character issue. The only costumes that are in it are on the very last page. Yeah. And I mean, there is violence in it, but the violence is all done by Carmody against regular people, which adds to the nightmare element. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. Wow. I'm actually surprised. I I did not think going into this that we would, once I finished reading it, once I prepared for it, I was like, "Mm, maybe this is a top shooter. But this was never on my mind of a top, power pack comic book until we started doing this little podcast so yeah exactly it's it's interesting honestly uh every time we're doing the the rankings i don't think about it until we hit this stage yeah. so yeah it, it's like where is this one i'm like i don't know i'll think about it later and we hit here and it's like yeah man this is this is really good again i don't want to read it again but this is really good <laughs> we now need to talk about our beer i i'm gonna go ahead and out on a limb and say that no matter what we rank the beer, I think we're both feeling pretty dang good. I'm <laughs> feeling great. <laughs> I've, I'll be honest. I've needed this. I've wanted this. I've been uh, self-rationing on a lot of things lately. And uh, yeah, this is a nice night. <laughs> <laughs> Behind the screen, this is a beer number two from a, a 11.5 to a 14. So yay. yay. Mr. Uh, Hell on High. Oh, by the way, you know what I never, ever did? It was an episode of the brewery. Now, this is from Echo Imports, but the brand name, <clears throat> Rukuskaya. 
R-I-N-K-U-S-K-I-A-I. Yeah, this is from Lithuania. Hmm, where'd you find that at? Store of Choice is going to John's Marketplace in Tigard, Oregon, and they have an amazing selection of beer. They have a fairly decent import side where I find a lot of different, I've seen a lot of different beers from a lot of different countries, and I try my best to find some that are going to fit in. This has been on my uh, radar for a little while, and I think it's a wise choice. What are you giving this as far as Powerballs, though, sir? As the hour's gone by or so, and uh, the beer's warmed up a little bit, the flavor has gone away from that really caramely kind of like multi-caramel flavor kind of thing, and it's hitting Mm -hmm. a lot more of kind of like uh, a harder alcohol flavor. It's still good. I would definitely drink this again because I like the feeling. Um, (laughs) It's not going to be a top one of mine, but I'm going to give it a, a, a solid four. I am going to join you on Foreland. This is a solid four. I love the taste. I love sweet. It's hitting the caramel taste for me. Yeah, this is a specialized beer. This is one that you go in saying, hey, we're going to have ourselves a little bit of a night. And we're having a little bit of a night. Four is all around. And and Jeff, once again, is trying to talk to me. But I can't hear him because the magic of the microphone means he pressed the wrong button. There's one button. I push it and it goes, "Uh uh-huh. Yeah, okay, you pushed me. What does that mean? I'm like, it means I want to talk again. It's like, what does that mean? It means, I guess I'll push you again. Folks, this is the reason why I never give him any power when we record face-to-face. Yeah. <laughs> you, you let me type stuff in the page, though, and then you say my words, you puppet. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, normally we're going to do Kit's perspective here. Normally I let Jeff, like, introduce us in, but... um. I'm not sure we will have a kid's perspective. It will be very interesting. I think maybe I'll have a conversation with my daughter to see what she just kind of overall thought. It'll be a little short. So whatever we said is going to go in right here. Hi, Carrie. Hi, Daddy. I wanted to talk to you a little bit, just very little bit about Power Pack 42. It's the comic book that you started reading maybe a page or two, and you said, nope, not going to read it, right? Right. Why not? I don't know it. Seems kind of dark. There's a lot of blood. Uh huh. I don't know. Kind of scared you a little bit. Yeah. Was it the cover that really did it to begin with? Cover looked kind of ugly. Do you know who that was? No. That was the boogeyman, Carmody. Blah. So you didn't read it at all. Let me give you kind of high level. Remember, a couple of issues ago, Carmody was thrown into that demon realm. Yep. He was down there. And a demon came called Nastara, the one he was trying to make a deal with. Oh, yeah. He turned him into that, that grody, ugly, demon-shaped thing. He kind of became a real boogeyman, okay? Okay. At the same time that was happening, also, this event called Inferno was starting, where the demon realm was starting to come over into the real world. New York City became kind of the epicenter for it, and it became really hot, and garbage was piling up everywhere, and nothing was working, and these weird things were happening as as things started to turn evil. The Power Pack kids got really sick, and they were stuck in their house. I read that part. You read that part? Okay. What'd you think of that part? I don't know. It was kind of sad, and they didn't really do much talking. No. Who did a lot of talking from what you saw in that part? Their parents. Did you catch what their parents were trying to do? They were trying to uh, cool the kids down. Yeah, they were trying to cool the kids down. And eventually, after things weird things started happening, they decided they wanted to get their kids out of there. But that's when the boogeyman attacked. 
the boogeyman attacked and trapped the parents and the kids in an elevator and he got both of the parents by the neck and he threatened that he would kill the parents if power pack didn't reveal themselves and at the very end of the book after the kids they got themselves healed and then they looked at the boogeyman and said costumes on and we are power pack and revealed themselves to their parents what do you think of that whoa see you missed something by not reading the book didn't you but that's okay that's okay if the book scared you and you didn't want to read it that's okay we'll figure out something else are you kind of are you kind of excited about seeing the next book yeah as long as it's not like really really scary i think this might be some of the scariest parts okay it's a good book it's a good issue but maybe a little bit later on okay okay anything else you want to talk about no well thank you very much for trying and uh We'll try to get you on another episode with Jeff and I. I'm sure we'll have time. Okay. I love you, honey. Love you, too. And that was Carrie's thoughts. And that leads us to... Shoutout time. We'd like to recognize those listeners that take the time to write in or leave us a review. And I'll say right now, I may miss a few people that reviewed or left us a note about Power Pack Number 40, our episode number 53, Fight Fire with Fire. I didn't go back for a second run through to make sure I had everybody in there. So if we missed you, please, we still love you commenting or leaving us a note. But for now, we want to say thank you to AJ. Al Sedano and the Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. Brian G, who won our award for the first comment. And he said, great issue. The events of this issue set up an amazing story arc for Power Pack's involvement in Inferno. <laughs> do we have an award for first comment? Yes, we do. We just we just gave it out. Oh man, impressive. That was our first comment ever. Just read. Charlie Rose. Chris at BTO Bat Books. Cindy. Comic Reflections and Nicholas Brom. Ed209. Ethos. Green Lantern HG. Hillary. Hoover Jeremiah. This was one we got to unwrap the gift that Hoover sent to us. And uh, again, wow, man, that was unexpected and utterly amazing. And Rick has it and I don't. And I'm a little sad. But these are the things that we live through. Jeffrey Brown. Jeff Polier. Jeremy Daw. Jeremy Wiggins. Kent Byers. The Longbox Crusade and Pat DJ Christatos Sampson. Mr. Malcontent. Mark Sumerak. The Married with Comics podcast with John. Hi, Maggie. Max Traver. Mitch Jillian. And the Nerd Out, Portland's premier nerd bar. Mr. Rogers Core. New Warriors Talk. Osvaldo Oila. Professor Frenzy. It's a show. Sailor Bear Zodar. Tim Price. The Podcrasher. Waffles. The Dog. And a special thank you and shout out to our very own demon voice himself, Tim Price. Be sure to check out the other show that we are on, our Junior Agent Submissions on MI6 Rookie Agents episode of On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. And we have some merchandise available on Redbubble. Go to redbubble.com and search for Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. Jeff and Rick Presents is a bi-weekly self-produced podcast recording in front of no studio audience ever again in Portland, Oregon. If you would like to interact with us through the magic of the internet, because that's the only place you can talk to us, you can do so through Twitter at Jeff and Rick Present, our Facebook page, Jeff and Rick Present, our email address, Jeff and Rick Present, 
all one word at gmail.com. Don't send us physical mail. Jeff has to sit on it for three days. Or at our website, jeffandmerkpresent.wordpress.com. Also, our YouTube channel is Jeff and Merk Present. And if you'd like to help us support our show, we are on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com Jeff and Rick Present. All one word. We are a supporter of the Hero Initiative, and we will be donating 10% of our Patreon donations to this great cause. We encourage everyone to give what they can to this worthwhile organization that helps the creators who provide us with such great content. Go to heroinitiative.org to find out more. Please rate and review us wherever you can. Tell your friends about us or share your love for us on social media. And as always, we want to thank the powerful people in our packs. My wife, Cindy, and our daughter, Carrie. My fiance, Hillary, and our daughter, Aurora. We, we love, love you. Until next time. Costumes, costumes off. Our theme music is 80s action. Also featured in this episode is Road to Hell. All music is by Kevin McLeod at Incoptech.com and is licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. Forget about it, Rick. It's Inferno Town. <laughs> <laughs> Opening music. Opening music. Spat bang. He did a tattletale, and it is amazing. Why did I start eating right now? That was really stupid. <clears throat> no, uh, eat, man. Take, uh, we can take a little micro break, and you can eat some food, chew, and swallow. I just looked over. I'm like, ooh, I want to eat something right now in the middle of talking to you. And that <laughs> was some... dumb. <laughs> I... well, it, it would it would be fine if it were, you were just one-on-one, but we're just, it's the podcast thing. It's kind of like, yeah, this is not the time nor place, my friend. No, no. <laughs> I'm done. I'm just like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like a pair of this background. Spat bang. I have beer on my comic book. That's awesome. Oh, suck. <laughs> Things happen. Just like everything else in my life, it smells like beer sooner or later. <laughs> Spat bang. I changed some of those up so that they fit the con- con- uh, convention a little better. Okay. You don't care. It don't matter. <laughs> Spat bang. Remember, <clears throat> remember when my lungs wanted to leave my body? Yep. Spat bang. Slideshow of his past interactions with. Spat bang. Ha ha. Good joke. Still waiting on the comedy, though. Jim tells. Everybody's a critic. Jim tells. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody laughs, but I'm Paganini. (laughs) Ha ha. Good joke. Everybody laughs. Spat bang. Yeah, I'm kind of like, I'm like, after that 11 point in this 14, man, this is flowing great. I'm loving how we sound. Yeehaw! Spat bang. Dad, you excellent. Hang on a second. Yeah, figure it out. Yeah. Take your time with this. It's good to, because you're going to probably be doing this one for a while. So. Dad, you excellent. <laughs> 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 yes yes that's amazing yes the, the i can't in the mouth. i can't say i can't so say punk punk doesn't work i can't do it yeah you can't yeah you can't say punk you could you could probably just do your normal carmody voice and it'd be okay you maybe deepen it up a little but yeah dude that yeah <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll stop. Uh, serious time. It's Carmody, man. This is a monstrous villain. Spat bang. I really see the Carmody in the image on the screen, too. 
I mean, you portray it ex- excellently. <laughs> Thanks. Spat. Bang. She has made it into the kitchen and tells Jim that they are getting the hitch. No, I prefer you just saying the hitch. Just that uh, <laughs> not so great uh, <clears throat> Paul Blart slash uh, <laughs> Will Smith movie. Will Smith movie. Uh, which which had moments that were actually kind of uh, that where I'm like, oh, this could be a great movie, and then it hit kind of just a standard trope, and I'm like, you suck. It must be Inferno because we're talking about Hitch now. <laughs> yeah, we got to talk about Hitch. Let's uh, we have uh, let's pivot on our podcast and turn it into a Hitch podcast. <laughs> <clears throat> we could probably make it run for five years. He is giving the children a choice. Save the parents or kill the cheerleader. No, 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 no. Or he is going to pop their heads off like bottle tops. <laughs> okay, high five. <laughs> nicely done. Very nicely done. Oh, I like how you go right there and that's full high five. Spat bang. We are Power Pack. Do the Jack one. Oh, that's right. Sorry, I'm just doing I'm like J and R means mm. Jeff and Rick, so Spat Bang. But I have one question for you, my friend. Yes, my I, friend. I like how you I liked how you struggled through that sentence. How's that 14% ABV treating you? <laughs> uh, it's in my bladder and it's in my brain. <laughs> All right. Thinking. On that. <laughs> Spat. Bang. Sure so, uh, <laughs> or, or <Hot> outtakes. 